Welcome to episode one of Overthinking the Modern World. I'm your host, Matt. We'll be talking about life as a young person living in the modern world in one of the major cities of the world, Los Angeles. We're going to overthink dating, love, friendship, culture, and many more. Thank you for joining me on this pilot episode. Today, I'm running it solo and setting up an origin story for the podcast as to why modern dynamics are so complex and worthy of being overthought. The world is as complex as it has ever been. For the individual, it's increasingly difficult to navigate and it would it is so, so easy to get lost in all of it. This episode looks at the bullshit and all of the ways to get lost in it and how society has been impacted on a macro level or the holistic level because of the effects on the individual. Because at the end of the day, the holistic experience is built from a culmination of the micro or the individual experience. In 2017, globally, the world agreed that life is better than it was 50 years ago. This differs greatly by country though. For example, in Vietnam, 88% of people say life is better today. And in countries like India and South Korea, um, they also hold strong majorities. But surprisingly, in the US, 41% of people say that life was better 50 years ago. And only 37% say it's better now. Now, the happiness metric is, is pretty hard to understand because we all have different values for for what constitutes a happy life. But, you know, the, the different cultures and the different countries typically have similarities. We all value family as the highest. And then a trade-off between friendships, um, passions, hobbies, and um, health and wealth. Those are the main factors. And the, the thing is, though, the world objectively has truly improved in so many quantifiable metrics. Life expectancy increased globally by six years since the beginning of the century. Global literacy, education has become much better across the globe. Access to clean water has improved drastically. Even equality across different demographics has improved. Um, Gender equality, LGBTQ plus equality, race equality, um, even though I guess if you keep up with current news, you might disagree with that, but just objectively, equality has increased. And there's also less violence occurring in the world. But then on the other hand, we have some interesting metrics such as, for example, suicide in the US has increased pretty dramatically, uh, increased by 30% in the last 20 years. Males actually represent 80% of the suicides here. And this is a pretty interesting phenomenon that gets looked into, but we won't focus on it in this episode. Um, attention spans are getting worse. In 2000, it was 12 seconds, and 20, in 2015, it became 8.25 seconds. And inequality, wealth inequality has grown. The world's 26 richest people own as much capital as the poorest 3.8 billion humans combined. It's pretty crazy. So I, I think the reason I start off with some of these stats is we can see that the world is objectively worse in some quantifiable ways, but also objectively better in many others. 
And I'm not here to try to, you know, make a statement on whether I think the world is getting better or worse. Because I, I think that's entirely based on your belief system. But I think what is impossible to dispute, though, is that the world is infinitely more complex. And complex because great strides in technology have made an imprint on every single possible aspect of living as a human in modern society. We have these advances in technology such as self-driving cars, 3D printing, vapes, medicinal advancements, but these are not the ones that I want to focus on today. And I think you might already have an idea of what I want to talk about, and that is the introduction of the internet. The internet has taken over. It's now everywhere and for everyone. Across the globe, since 2000, usage of the internet has increased by 1300%. The average time spent on the internet is just under seven hours, uh, differing by culture. Um, but even Japanese people who are ranked, who use the internet the least of all cultures, still spend a couple hours on it. Average time spent on social media is now two and a half hours. And here's where I want to kind of take us back to the beginning of the internet, is that much like most technology, the internet, I would argue, is neither inherently good or bad. The creators of the internet, UCLA and Stanford scientists, research scientists, were just extremely talented computer scientists that had no real agenda other than to create an efficient and large web of connected networks. Maybe the motivation was money, but the motivation definitely wasn't to create some of the byproducts, the negative byproducts of the internet, the bullshit, as I like to call it. And I'm going to get into the bullshit soon. But just understand that the potential of the internet is so great at this moment in time. You might not use the internet super frequently or for everything, but understand that you can really do anything you could possibly want to on the internet. You know, with the internet, I can order dominoes. I can read and discuss politics. I can watch athletes and professional gamers compete. I can try and learn new skills. I can learn how to play an instrument. And I can message women that thought I was attractive based on a 10-second profile that I've meticulously put together to present an intriguing version of myself. And I can watch endless content. While I was writing the, the script for this podcast or the, the bullet points, I, I was on Reddit and I saw a Komodo dragon consume an adult goat full just in one, you know, in one motion. So how can our minds compete for attention with things like this? Writing and researching content for a podcast versus watching a Komodo dragon devour a goat? The noise is, is truly so inescapable sometimes. And I would say this noise is not even the most harmful. And I, I would consider it quite harmless, to be honest. This brings me to the point that the world only governs things that we view to be objectively harmful, for the most part. For example, most people would argue that very addictive and harmful drugs should be illegal, and I'll also take that stance gladly. 
but a lot of people would argue that marijuana and alcohol should be legal. One thing is for damn sure, though, is that the world could not give less of a fuck on how you decide to consume content. In this era of hyper-consumerism in our current capitalist society, companies and creators are not looking at abstract happiness metrics for if their products or content is improving lives. It's entirely about consumption and usage. This is something that every company is tracking. Every social media company emphasizes daily active users, daily active minutes, or like usage per user. So the onus then falls upon the individual to determine this for themselves, whether what they are consuming is making their lives better. And in the past, we definitely faced this dilemma. In the past, we faced this primarily with purchasing and consuming television or radio content. But even those things are, those two things are are regulated. Now it's extended into the ability to consume anything at any given second. And I don't want to ignore the fact that there is so much beneficial and useful things on the internet. You can engage in truly meaningful discussions, learn new skills and methodologies of thought, and you can really go beyond your experience of nurture. Imagine you were born into a family that did not really prioritize health and fitness, so you kind of just ate junk food as a kid, and you have bad habits of eating. With the internet, you could really find role models fitness role models and all these resources on how you could eat better. You could really just look up something like how to get a six pack and someone will have an actual detailed guide on how you can do this. And this extends to anything you could possibly want to learn. And whilst there is so much of this great content, there is also so much I would consider subjective noise. And the reason I call it subjective, and I can't take the stance on this and say it's objectively noise, is because certain content will impact certain people differently. If we look at social media, specifically Instagram, for the most part, we see that Instagram users do suffer from things like upward social comparison digital status seeking, causing body image issues, and even disordered eating behavior because of having to post selfies or the pressure to look great. Even on Instagram, content that may be poisonous for you could just be very normal content for someone else. For example, if a very attractive girl decides to post bikini photos in on vacation, This could be perfectly normal content for her friends just to see what she's up to. But then for some random males out there, it is creating this false interpretation or this false expectation of what female beauty is. This is is something I've seen firsthand. And even for myself, I I wouldn't say it's affected me in, in that way specifically, but for someone that's subscribed to fitness on Instagram, Even if you try to remotely follow fitness, you just get extremely jacked people. You're not getting what's attainable for you. You're getting this combination of insanely disciplined because these people do this full-time, part-time. It makes them money. And and then also the use of performance-enhancing drugs. 
And if you're not able to decipher, if you're not able, not able to determine this for yourself and understand that this is not realistic, you can easily get lost in the source of it all. This definitely affects younger generations more. Studies have shown that younger people are more susceptible to social influence. 25% of teens said it had a negative effect on them, whilst 31% of teens claimed it had a positive effect. These numbers are not awesome at all. And 32% of teen girls feel worse about their bodies when using Instagram. So with all of this noise, I think we have to keep in mind that it is very natural. It is completely natural to buy into the noise. And it almost requires you having to go against your biological desires in order to step away from this. And that's why I don't think we can really, we should really ever fault people for the effects social media has on has on them because it's very easy to get lost in it yourself when, when i th- talk about biological desires i kind of want to bring this to the, the orders of thinking that human beings are capable of so I, I remember first learning about this in my philosophy class and essentially the concept is this all animals most conscious animals can think on a first order meaning they can reactionary, reactionarily think and can think based on impulses, right? I'm hungry, I want to eat. I'm thirsty, I want to drink, and I'm tired, and I want to rest. But humans are capable of thinking on a second order. Being able to think how this current action is going to affect us long term. When we're hungry, we can assess how this next meal is going to impact us maybe three hours down the line but even a month down the line and six months down the line and this is where i think we really need to exercise this higher order thinking or the second order thinking especially when it comes to consuming content on instagram or other common social media platforms is that you can't just allow your mind to determine hey this is giving me a dopamine rush let me watch this Because then I think you'll find you just get all of this noise in your feed and you're almost addicted to these constant dopamine rushes that really don't provide any lasting benefits to you. And this is, once again, subjective, but I urge you to think, for the guys out there, what does having hot chicks on your Instagram feed provide to you? What does that provide to you long term? Because you do get that in that little dopamine rush or that little hint of arousal, but it's not like you're ever going to talk to this person. This is not going to help your relationships. In fact, it's going to do, it's probably going to cause more negative impacts on your relationships because now you're just on your phone, you see all these extremely beautiful people. And so I've already em- emphasized that the onus is completely on the individual and I do want to reinforce this because I do work in the tech field and I can safely assure you that the vast majority of content that is delivered to you is not specifically out here to harm you except for very minor cases in the past um, probably in regards to 
politics, but the vast, vast majority of content is delivered to you because you decide to engage with it. These algorithms and these models are very impartial to how you feel, and as long as you are consuming, it will continually feed you. And you can be consuming in such an unhealthy manner. You could be on Instagram for five hours a day and hate your life and hate everyone around you, but Instagram will keep delivering you the same content. This new era of using the internet allows people to almost live from their bedroom. You could live from your bedroom permanently now and have most of your needs semi-fulfilled, somewhat fulfilled, right? We saw this during COVID. People were able to live in their bedrooms and have decent lives. We were forced to you can converse with your friends, you can experience some semi-valid form of intimacy by messaging people on online dating apps or watching pornographic content. We now rely on technology as a replacement for socialization. There are a lot of metrics that comment on how we are becoming less social over time. In 1974, a third of Americans spent time with their neighbors several times a week, and now only 19% do. We hang out with coworkers less and families are getting smaller. Teens in this generation are less interested in getting out of the house than past generations. The impacts the internet has had on dating is humongous. The sheer amount of romantic stimulus is unmatched. The sheer amount of romantic stimulus that you can gain from using online dating apps is something that people have never really experienced before. And I'm talking about everyday people. Everyday people can experience just an overload of romantic stimulus. Sally, who used to just be the cute town pastor's daughter and would maybe have spoken to a few of the guys in her neighborhood in the block, in two blocks, in three blocks, in the, in the little town, has now literally thousands of or tens of thousands of men in her back pocket that want to meet up with her at any given time. It's shown that 50% of 18 to 29-year-olds have used a dating app. It's truly a billion-dollar industry now. There's also some pretty interesting gender dynamics when it comes to online dating. But I, I think what's interesting about online dating specifically is that it's exposed the biological tendencies of men and women. Men swipe right a lot more and women swipe right way less and match with much more people. Um, Women match with 36% of those that they like and men match with 2%. Even online dating has created another form of providing dopamine to people, right? In the past, we had notifications, texts, likes, shares, and now we have matches. So now we just have this insane amount of sources that we can get these little dopamine rushes. You could, on your phone, do use like 10 different apps to get and have many different interactions on each app. You could be using WhatsApp, you could be using Facebook, then you have Snap, you have Instagram, you have TikTok now, and then maybe you use two dating apps, maybe Maybe you're on Hinge, maybe you're on Tinder. And then, and th- these things are purely recreational. This is not even work. This is leisure time. And to give you a bit of backstory on 
how I got started with social media or got started with technology. Um, I, you know, I was born in 1997, so I started with MSN Messenger, where you could chat to people, had eBuddy as well, and, um, oh, I feel like I've been talking to a lot of people about this, but does anyone still remember Bebo? A lot of people have never used Bebo before, but I think it was kind of like MySpace. You had your profile picture and then paragraphs about you and some basic information about you. I remember this one mechanic, which was the ability to share love. The love was essentially like a like on someone's entire profile. And I was so addicted to trying to get as much love as possible. And people would almost you know, boast about how much love that they had. It was, I think, in my experience, the first time I saw this social rapport. The first time I saw the system of likes and follows and quantifiable metrics to show how how cool someone is on the internet or, you know, a thumb up. My first so-called relationships were also entirely online. I remember my so-called girlfriend when I was 11 years old, we talked over MSN. We 90% of our communication was over MSN and we barely talked in person. The overarching point is that the internet has created these new dynamics and it has unfortunately inevitably seeped deeply into the fabric of society and it has escaped beyond just the confines of the internet because I would say that the modern dating world is more ruthless but also abundant than it has ever been. We are so romantically disposable to one another and this can be seen if you've ever used a dating app now, the ghosting and flaking you can just stop texting people back. You might get a text and you might not like it. And then you can decide, hey, I'm just never going to reply. Or I'm just going to unmatch with this person. And then now we can flake on people. A day before the date, you can make up some odd excuse, push the date back, or just say, I'm now busy tomorrow night. And this is regarded as acceptable. The dynamics of online dating have seeped into dating in the real world because even people that you meet that are not online find it very difficult to invest in in people because of how flaky everything is. Because why would you? Why give someone your full attention knowing that they could kind of leave you high and dry at any point? And here's what I want to conclude with. Content is really objectively bad. We consume content in different ways. The same content consumed by you in a healthy manner could be consumed very unhealthily by me. The same content on Reddit that can turn men into hateful, misogynistic, social outcasts could also be giving hope to lonely men. But the part that I don't want you to get it twisted is that it very much has the ability to warp your ways of thinking and rewire your brain. The content that you consume definitely has the ability to change the way you think. And because it is so powerful and so magnetic, at the end of the day, I don't think you can really tell anyone, hey, don't consume any content 
because that is completely unrealistic living in the modern world. But you should be conscious of what you consume, what you let surround you, and really consider whether it is of value to your life and if it's held you back from anything. Because in my life, it certainly has. It's affected my relationships, my ability to socialize, my attention span, and my desire to invest in certain aspects of my life that I wanted to. And I would say procrastination is probably one of the least concerning issues on that list. The ability to set up unrealistic expectations for your life is very easy to do from consuming content. Here's what I, here's what I want to leave you with. The internet, invented in 1983, has dramatically changed the course of history. And for better or worse, we will always have access to it from here on out. The world is infinitely more complex because of it. And as individuals of this society, we must try to navigate it the best we can. This podcast really just aims to explore these new quirks of society in too much detail, to overthink them and ideally draw meaningful conclusions, but really at the minimum to overthink them to great extents and have fun doing so. I hope you had fun in this episode and I hope you kind of understand the gist of what's to come. But in later episodes, I'm definitely going to have more guests and we'll probably take lighter notes and try to have more fun with it as opposed to provide some overarching social commentary. Greatly appreciate you joining me for episode one of Overthinking the Modern World. I hope you'll tune in for the next ones. Have a great day or night wherever you decided to tune in from and I'll catch you around. See ya.